0: Happy Friday, friends. This is our, like, sixth week in a row bringing you an episode. Third bonus crossover episode in a row. Uh, We're just spoiling you guys this month. We are
1: just (laughs) like, I'm telling you, it has been fun to be in the podcasting world because we have connected with some of the coolest people.
0: We really have. And I don't know when or why July became crossover month, but it has been. So I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Yes. Um, Your regularly scheduled interview content is coming I guess this week when you're getting this so stay tuned. Yes. Um, But we have a lot more content planned for you but today we are talking with Sarah Fagan and Jenna Millian from Name Three Songs which is yet another podcast that I became obsessed with and then was like we need to do an episode together and they said yes and look at that it worked great. Um, If you're listening to this when this is out, which obviously you wouldn't be listening to it before unless you're us. Uh, we just recently right. did an episode with them on their show that dropped this past Sunday on women in rock and how they're treated. So uh, once you finish this, go back and listen to that. But today we're talking about the evolution of fangirls from really 18th century Germany unintentionally. <laughs> um, but we get we start with Beatles and go to... BTS so like today today um it was a great conversation uh I despite being a fangirl most of my life really don't know how to articulate the things that happen in fangirldom and Sarah and Jenna are infinitely smarter and wiser in this area than us um
1: absolutely we will
0: stick to things in the past rather than things in the (laughs) present because they're stressful um but this was a great Conversation with them, go check out their their show. I'll link it in the notes. And um, I'm Leah. I'm Bethany. And this is Shiwarakyu. Where are they getting a dub in a CPS executive <laughs> meeting? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is Shiwaraku.
0: All right. Today, we are joined by special guests, Sarah and Jenna from Name Three Songs podcast. Uh, before we get into the into the thick of it, as TikTok would say, into the thick of it. <laughs> uh, tell us about yourselves and your show.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, um, for I'm Jenna. I'm one half of Name Three Songs, and our show is all about challenging sexism in the music industry and empowering fangirls. And we drop episodes every sunday we have a lot of fun breaking down misogyny and <laughs> on all the internalized stuff that we learned and having fun unlearning it together
0: it's Hi, so great. I'm,
3: <laughs> I'm sarah i'm the other half of name three songs and yeah jenna i think jenna summed this up pretty perfectly we're just trying to help fellow fangirls unlearn a lot of shit that we've been taught through through the through the ages
0: Yep, and I've been listening for a couple months to you guys, and when I wanted to do a podcast on fangirls, I knew exactly which experts to contact, so thanks for joining us today. For the listeners at home, if you're clicking on this, we're going to talk about the evolution of fangirls, which most people think of starting with Beatlemania and Elvis, but as we were just discussing before we hit record... It actually started in 18th century Germany. So, Sarah, please tell us the story yes, you're telling us. Yes, please
3: do. Please blow my mind again. This is my favorite thing ever because I feel like people don't think that they know about this man, but they sort of do because of the band Phoenix. Um, so there was this concert pianist who is, I think he's Hungarian, but he was based in Germany. Yeah. He was like in his 30s and his name is Franz Liszt and he was like super hot for the 1800s and super talented for just like normal times (laughs) and and, um i mean honestly probably still kind of super hot for the normal times. (laughs) 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 depends on which drawing of him you come across
1: (laughs) which profile of the face are we talking about (laughs) From the
3: right or the left. (laughs) But he truly sent like women of Germany into hysterics um, to the point where journalists were kind of just like at a loss for words. Like this is the first recorded history of fangirldom is from the 1840s. Um, And basically they dubbed it Listomania, which was like the reaction to Franz Liszt hence the Phoenix I (laughs) mentioned before. Um, But my favorite story of a fangirl just completely being a fangirl, which I think is something that probably still happens to this day, was that like an infatuated woman was waiting outside of a concert hall that he was performing in and saw him toss like a cigar butt into a sewer drain. um, And she quickly scampered on over, collected that cigar butt, um, placed it in a locket, and then went on to go get it um get like diamond encru- get the locket diamond encrusted with Franz listed lists initials in order to show everybody her love and this like man from this German newspaper <laughs> from the 1800s literally was like yeah she just like went about her life with this diamond encrusted locket not acknowledging the foul odor it exuded because she was just so excited that she had something that had been that close to Fran's list, which is just like icon behavior.
0: Disgusting, <laughs> but admirable?
1: Do you ever feel like the 1800s was just like on its own astral plane? Cause like 1700s revolution makes sense. 1900s innovation makes sense. 1800s. We're gonna encrust a cigar and do a séance in the middle of Victoria, <laughs> Victorian times, like, and do some
3: opium while we're at it.
1: And do some opium, like, honestly, I don't like, understand that time <laughs> in history and what the people were.
3: Even though, like, the lifespan was like maybe forty-five, like, honestly, would give it a whirl if I could.
0: <laughs> they're living their best lives. Yes, they're here for a good time, not a long time. That's oh. right. Wow. <laughs> you had to make the most of your years Um, so that was the first recorded fangirl fandom Um, Frank Sinatra also had a pretty intense following but for the sake of the theme of our show we're gonna start with the Beatles and Elvis can I say
1: one thing about Frank Sinatra real quick Sure. I think my grandmother was one of the fangirls because she always called him her boyfriend I love that so much (laughs)
0: Wow. <laughs> I love that.
1: I know. It's so cute. Anyway, continue.
0: Anyway, there were there can be considered two big bang days of fangirldom. And that would be September 9th, 1956, the day that Elvis was on Ed Sullivan. And February 9th, 1964, the day that the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Um, I never put the, like the timeline together of when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan until like two days ago. But JFK had just been assassinated, like, on TV, like, 77 days prior, and so the nation was, like, still enduring a trauma, and (laughs) so the Beatles show up, and they were looking for a distraction, and 60% of American TVs were tuned into the Beatles, which I can't think of anything nowadays that 60% of Americans would tune into, because we're not even watching the Super Bowl anymore. (laughs) That's true. Um, the... The people already knew about the Beatles over here, and it was so bad that Ed Sullivan asked people on TV if they had tickets that they could give him to give to people who were asking for tickets because, like, all these celebrities kept hitting him up, saying, do you have a ticket for my daughter? My niece really wants to see them, and he's like, I can't do anything. Uh, so as we all know, Beatles fans were the the OG hardcore fangirls they screamed they got written in a bunch of newspapers that shit on them and (laughs) called them crazy uh they the sound systems weren't good so the screaming of the fangirls made it so you couldn't hear the music which is a problem um we don't have that problem today (laughs) let me put let
1: me put 16 amps stacked and blow it in your face until you're almost deaf
0: yeah bring earplugs yeah um so what is it about the Beatles that sent fangirls into a frenzy guys what is what is your take on this because I have some journalists take that aren't great I
3: I still don't know um I feel like recently we've talked about the Beatles more like than we even did in our fangirls episode when we first started this podcast because um there's like, I, th- I think that they were just like different enough that girls were like really excited about it. Because we recently read this book called Glitter Up the Dark by this author called Sasha Geffen. And they were talking in the book basically about how the Beatles were like, because like the way that the Beatles' haircuts were when they were coming to America was like pushing what masculinity was. Yeah. And so, with that mindset and that perspective and also with the information that like, that, cause their manager was gay. And so he was sort of giving the Beatles to the world with more of like a quote unquote, like feminine gaze um, or like the gay male gaze rather than like the masculine straight male gaze of things. So I think that it was just like the way that they were handled was probably very appealing to women Um, But Jenna and I have talked about this a lot. Like we don't exactly know when the like American obsession with England started happening again. And like when we also decided that like the British were like sticking it to the man in the exact sexy right way. (laughs) But apparently this was like a very big thing that we were into in the 60s. So I think that that also sort of had a part to it. But I think that like Sasha's points of them pushing masculinity to that degree is probably a lot of intrigue because when you think of the way that men in America were dressing and acting in that time like you th- like my point of reference for anything in the 60s is just bye-bye birdie so you just think of like <laughs> the very like button-up shirt slacks tucked in like slick back hair that whole shebang where guys are like you're too much of a fangirl." stop screaming you'll pass out (laughs) so I think that girls were just like well they're cool they like us so we love them
2: yeah I think it was that in combination with like their early music being kind of like that um like the crooners or like other like they were heavily influenced by the shirelles for example so like those girl groups boy groups sound but like a different aesthetic to it um and also because masculinity at the time was like very much like that blue collar like working man vibe you know denim or leather and the Beatles were doing that like a softer version and so i think Mm -hmm. it was kind of like what what another tiktok joke of like the Beatles at the time were written by female, like authors, right? Of, like it was written from a yeah. female perspective. Um, so I think that's probably why, why there was that like initial popularity.
0: So that's our, our retrospective female takes. <laughs> Journalists at the time, um, they couldn't, they could not figure out why they were doing it. They were like, these girls are crazy. They, um, they, they. Put themselves into hysteria. So, the first argument that male journalists made, were it's because they're hot. Yeah, which I mean, fair, but that's very. Male journalists 1840s has
3: more in the hotness scale, I think, than maybe all four of the Beatles. Well, George Harrison was like <laughs> their first haircuts.
0: Their first haircuts are bad. I think even by 60s standards, like that bowl cut was not a look. But, um, there was a book that was published in 1981 that's. I guess well-respected among Beatles scholars, because that's a thing. It's called Shout the Beatles and Their Generation by Philip Norman, and he interviews a psychologist that suggests that these screaming girls were subconsciously preparing for motherhood, and their frenzied screams are a rehearsal for that moment. That is, like...
2: Gotta love it goes back to children. That is just (laughs) uncomfy. I'm uncomfy. I
3: don't like... (laughs) like I feel like we came across something, like, maybe it was this quote, but this, that that whole like preparing for motherhood segment feels eerily familiar and I don't know if that's just like something that's been over like used before people just quote this a lot but that's just
0: so gross I don't like it one bit that is that is not the first thing on anyone's mind when they're at a concert meeting their idol they're not like oh I'm gonna have a baby soon let me scream that's that's not what we're thinking about it's really funny
2: because you can just tell that these very early like scholars psychologists critics whatever were all men who just like didn't bother to ask women any questions and that gives us a lot of the misogyny that we're like unpacking still today
3: it's just funny with when psychologists say these things about women because that's another thing that Jenna and I have discovered is that like psychology literally came to be for like women to be treated for being women with thoughts and feelings and men Hysterical. being like, yeah, we mm-hmm. don't. Well, that's how the vibrator came to be. But I don't know if that's PC <laughs>
0: enough for your podcast. No, no it's fine. always explicit. It's fine. here. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah so another fun bit of history that's my other favorite thing is that in order to treat hysteria the like magic wand vibrator was created in order to give women orgasms because that's why they were being hysterical because they were like pent up like, well, we
1: showed them <laughs>
3: sexual <laughs> repression so there's lots of like weird stuff where it's like you literally would go to your doctor and, like get off because your husband's like she's fucking hysterical and insane and they're like we have just the treatment <laughs>
0: that would be the most uncomfortable point to ever exist yeah
3: but I mean also psychology was literally just the thing that came to be to treat women and it wasn't until like 2016 or 2017 that there was a, even a handbook on how to treat male patients so more fun facts for me that have nothing to do with this
0: episode <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we love a good rabbit hole we
1: do love a good tangent
0: um. So very quickly, obviously, the Beatles caught on to more than just fangirls as they evolved musically and put out more experimental crap. And I can't find the quote in my notes, but um, someone pointed out that like journalists started shifting away from, oh, look at these screaming, crying girls and more of look how genius these guys are and dissecting their music. And really, it's the same approach that these girls are having to the music, and they think that they're so intellectual for having these thoughts that these girls have been having for years. And uh, it's not fair. I just
2: want to know, like, this is still something that's unanswered. Sarah and I have talked about this before. We, we haven't gotten to the bottom of this. At what point was there this shift? At what point did it shift from fangirls to being accepted by male critics?
3: Well, didn't the Beatles take, like, a bit of a break and then come back with, like, more, like...
0: It um, was a round revolver. Yeah, and
3: they came back with, like, more I don't, experiment, exper- yeah. <laughs> experimental music. They came back with more experimental music and were like, here, have this. And then the men were like, oh... A didgeridoo. I don't know if that's onto the album, but, like, just, like, some Something weird, weird. <laughs> instrument. How exciting. How thought-provoking.
0: Um, I also want to point out that the reason that these girls fainted was because our brains are very dumb in processing emotions. They're basically like, big, exciting thing. Big emotion. This is too much. Faint. And I, I don't see that as much anymore. Okay. Like, I feel like we don't hear about <laughs> Fangirls but
2: there were fangirls who fainted when they were meeting One Direction. Like I've seen videos of like them at like the mall signings where they're like all sat at the table and girls literally just passing out after like getting an autograph from like Zane. That's the first thing that popped into there my head.
0: Girls, I would be, I would just die on the spot if I passed out. I don't. Th- <laughs> I don't no think. Recovering.
3: I've, I don't think I've ever seen anybody.
0: faint. I actually.
2: I actually just saw a TikTok about a it was a K-pop band, but there was a fangirl who literally like stood up to like give her idol like a high five and like immediately just like lights out, like fell over backwards. Oh. It was the wildest thing.
3: I truly for most of my life thought that fainting because you're like so excited someone exists was just like again a trope that existed specifically for the musical bye bye birdie (laughs) like I didn't (laughs) realize that this is like a real phenomenon that was happening for Elvis and the Beatles but it was real (laughs) it wasn't just like choreography
0: (laughs) I think it depends on like your literal genetic makeup whether you're predisposed to this or not but I Damn. don't think I have it. I hope I don't have it. More than anything, these fandoms gave women, like, something to bond over because they didn't have that before. Mainly, these groups are, like, Buddy Holly, I feel like, was mostly men. Women weren't getting into his music. Um, Elvis had some organized fan clubs, but not a lot. But then these these sweet Sweet Beatles fans make these like organized fan clubs, and they go to the extent of even having there's like an overarching Beatles fan club, and then there's individual fan clubs for your favorite Beatle, which is adorable. (laughs) But they get a little out of hand, and George Harrison ends up shutting his own fan club down (laughs) because the girl who ran this fan club, her name is Pat Kinzer, and she runs this unauthorized quote from George Harrison's wife where she basically spills the beans that they're thinking of adopting a baby and he didn't like it. So he shut his own fan club down. And the there, I found an article from like 1960 something whenever they shut it down and the poor girl was so distraught. Like she wrote multiple letters to George, to his wife, to the record label, to anyone who could... She's like, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. But wow. they shut her fan club down. I
2: imagine just being mortified. Like your fave, like, told you no. Like, oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Jeez. They cancel you. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, The Beatles did eventually get so tired of their screaming, fainting fans that they just stopped touring. And it's not because they hated each other. It's because they were tired of being mobbed, which I don't blame them for one bit. Like,
3: do you think that – because, I mean, I can completely understand – stopping touring because of that i mean we've had countless people nowadays stopping doing meet and greets and stopping other things because the fan interaction is just too too exhausting especially like if you have somebody like like lady gaga or justin bieber who have talked about being pretty like and pathy type people so you have these people coming up being like your music saved me you saved me this whole thing and I know you're not getting that extent in the 60s because they were such so big you don't have organized meet and greets to that degree you don't have that sort of thing but it makes a lot of sense but also I feel like that probably was fuel to the fire for when the Beatles come back with other music them that for like men to then be like this is ours now they're they're pushing you away when I don't necessarily think based off of quotes and other things that I've read of the Beatles that the Beatles hated their fans like you were saying Leah but I think that like they were just tired (laughs) and meanwhile these men were like no they hate you they're ours now (laughs) and like
1: you know during the Beatles time they made like a bunch of movies too like I think like three or four and I mean, the record label was playing to that trope of them being like mobbed by fangirls. And I'm sure just like the reality of it, though, I mean, for those uh, for the Beatles, just like going through it day in and day out, you know, but I mean, the media, the, the team around it was also playing it up as well
0: yeah
2: yeah i mean once again it makes me think a lot of like one direction and how much they toured and how they were constantly working and constantly in stadiums full of people but it's like at the time no like this hadn't really happened before so i'm sure like the beatles and like their team didn't really know how to manage it properly
1: yeah yeah definitely
0: i don't i don't know how celebrities do it like in the Taylor Swift documentary, she just casually throws out, "Yeah, someone broke into my apartment last week," and I'm just like, Jeez. that's a thing you live with every day. Just you can walk in your house there's a random dude there." So I mean, their security was not as good in the '60s. So it sure happened to Queen the Elizabeth.
1: So what happened to Taylor Swift. I'm pretty two sh- queens.
3: Just side note, I'm pretty sure the guy who broke into the Buckingham Palace has the same name as my father. Really. I'm, like, pretty positive. Wait
1: a second. That's wild. Do you have family in England that no. relocated
3: from a but Yeah, it was the same event? name, but the last name was spelled different. So, like, my dad's name is Michael Fagan, F-E-I-G-I-N, and the guy who broke into Buckingham Palace was Michael Fagan, F-A-G-A-N.
1: Oh, that's crazy. That's wild.
3: <laughs> I mean,
1: I'm just saying, it could have been an easy name change. <laughs> easy.
3: They did it all
1: the time. <laughs>
3: I don't know what year this happened, but I do not think my father was old enough to have been the Buckingham Palace <laughs> intruder. <laughs> we just, uh, like, didn't do anything wrong. We just wanted to hang out with the queen.
0: The Beatles and Elvis era also saw our first periods of national fangirl mourning, which is kind of depressing. But I just wanted to squeeze in this personal story of the day that Elvis died. My mom was at Busch Gardens and they announced it over the loudspeaker in the theme park they were like breaking news elvis has died and she said that girls threw themselves to the ground they were screaming and crying and it wasn't a fun theme park experience anymore because everyone was just depressed the rest of the day and crying that is
2: truly wild
0: it's so weird to me because i mean now it would happen if something like that happened it would Probably have the same reaction because we'd all get like an alert on our phones. Yeah. But the fact that they announced it over the Bush Gardens loudspeaker. Right. Because they knew people would care.
3: That happened when Michael Jackson died. I was just about to say that they and- interrupted the radio because this was still when like you would listen to the radio in the car. But I remember exactly where I was. Yeah, you're we like driving into Jones Beach to go to a Backstreet Boys concert. And like the radio, like you, because like people were tailgating. So like everybody's radios cuts out and it's like breaking news, Michael Jackson has died. And it was just like this thing where you could just tell like nobody really even knows how to react. Because at that point, you know, his, 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 he's like a whole different person to when his career started. But it was just like, I don't remember that ever happening for anything else.
0: Um, So moving on in history, we're going to enter the, the 70s, late 60s and talk about groupies. Which is honestly not an era of history that I'm super familiar with. So... I do a lot of research on this, found a great 1960s Rolling Stone article where they interviewed like 20 groupies. Fantastic article. Um, So the term groupie, I feel like has been reclaimed to be a good term, but at the time it kind of wasn't. Um, It was most likely invented. No one really knows where the term came from, but it was most likely invented by a journalist who was jealous of these girls and their access to the band because... We
3: actually found, I found this oh um hold on give me one second okay so bill wyman of the rolling stones is credited with coining the term groupie in 1965 to describe the tally of female fans he ravished while on tour (laughs) but and this is my favorite thing because jenna and i talked about this in our groupie episode is that like the dictionary definition of groupie actually isn't like sexual at all and it very much doesn't really even differ from fangirl, just by like, but other than like a couple words, but like the dictionary definition of a groupie is quote a fan of a rock group who usually follows the group around on concert tours.
0: <laughs> I like that definition much better. <laughs> yeah, I I really struggled with how to present groupies because there's so many. Facets to the groupie story because a lot were underage, which is a problem,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: all in itself that we're not going to touch because we do not have time for that in this episode. Um, but there were some some people who like made this their life's calling. We have B.B. Buell, Pamela Debar, Pamela Anderson later on in the, the Motley crew era. And, um, in this interview in Rolling Stone in 1969, they interviewed a girl named I'm guessing Henri. The way she spells her name, and she has a great quote that I will read you now. And it's, uh, being a groupie is a full-time gig. It's sort of like being a musician. You have two or three girlfriends you hang out with, and you stay high. And as intellectually enlightened as this group of mu- musicians, you've got to if you're going to have anything to offer. Musicians should pay more attention to the good thing they've got going for them. Groupies, I mean. After all, a groupie is a nonprofit call girl like a japanese yeah, musician so. and a friend and a housekeeper and pretty much whatever the musician needs.
3: Have you read any of like Pamela Debars books or interviews or anything about Ilk?
0: I've listened to some of hers. I have a quote from her as well um for the the end of this section, but it's just it was I don't like it. <laughs> Well, because she's she's interesting because so I can't
3: remember if it was in her book or in an interview, but she had said that, like, when the term groupie was first being used, it just meant that you were like part of a group, which I just think is like Pamela DeBar being Pamela DeBar about things. (laughs) But my other favorite thing was that she was saying how like they all had quote unquote jobs like they would make them clothes and they would do these do these other things and so it very much felt like groupies and fan like groupies were like a promotion from fangirl because of sort of the role that they played but but she also talked about how they would bathe them and do do these things where they sort of fell into this in between of being a mother and a wife or girlfriend. Um, And you have all these situations where these men were full on like in love with them, but they, a lot of them had wives back home or other scenarios. And I can't remember remember. Michelle Overman. Yeah. Um, But who, who did she date? Okay. Yes. So Michelle Overman was dating. I think it was, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But basically, there there is this groupie whose name I can't recall because there's too many of them. There's a lot. But basically, of them. like she mm-hmm. was in this loving relationship with a British musician whose name I also don't remember. <laughs> and he had a wife back home. And so in photos, there were there's like this really famous photo where there's the whole band and you see like his arm going out of frame and he's like touching her off camera so that she could feel like she was part of the group, but like she couldn't be in any of the photos because like he was, she was his secret, but like he was writing songs about her and they were very much like in a relationship when he was in America. And it's Mm -hmm. like, and it's just so sad because these groupies will put so much work and effort into being with these musicians. Mm um and i mean pamela debar talks a lot about um who's the bad one and (laughs) and why am i forgetting everybody's name of jimmy page like how she was like in this relationship with jimmy page and but he would be like oh i'll call you and then he she would wait by the phone and he wouldn't call her and he'd be like oh i'll send a ticket for you to come to my show i want you there and so, most of the times he wouldn't, but sometimes he would And then when she'd be there, they'd all give her like their bracelets and all these things because it's like, Oh, we trust you to watch our stuff. But I mean, ultimately like Jimmy Page left Pamela Bar for 14 year old Lori Maddox. So, <laughs> ah! but yeah,
1: like that's not a good choice.
3: Yeah. Not, not at all. But it, it's just interesting with groupie culture because it very much feels very close to fangirldom in its own right but and it it also seems based off of how Pamela DeBar talks about things that these girls even though they were in the thick of it as you would say like they they had absolutely no idea how to deal with what being that close to rocks are really entailed and so it just seemed like lots of imposter syndrome Mm loss lots of sadness lots of yearning um yeah. and just lots of like un like unrequited love and unpaid labor to some degree
1: <laughs> so can i can i ask a question because like as we've stated i fangirldom is really not in my purview except when it comes to email culture but like do you feel like it's a complete like abuse of that musician of treating a fa- it, treating a groupie or just a fan in general like it feels like in Pamela's case she's almost like being used for when Jimmy wants her like that's the way I interpret it I feel like it's
2: very much walking that line because there are like some groupie stories where it feels like <clears throat> like the groupies know like this is a thing for when they're in town this is a thing for like when they want to have fun it's not a serious thing so it's like if you're both like consenting people and you know that's what like the plan is then you know it's not like a bad thing but i think you know this is where we start to see people abusing their power and in these power dynamics taking advantage of people and like with pamela for example like saying oh i'll call you or i'll send the ticket and then not doing it to me that's like fuck boy 101 Um and, and like that's kind of like the behavior that we've <laughs> seen trickle into even today with how groupies are. And that's why I think like groupie has such a negative connotation. I don't think the negative connotation has gone away from groupie as much as Pamela DeBar wants to reclaim it as like a, a positive thing. I think it still has that negative connotation of they're just here to sleep with the band and nothing and they're not providing any other value than that.
0: I well, think people oh. uh,
1: sorry. I think that's unfortunate, though, because I don't see that as a negative reflection on a groupie. I see that as a negative reflection as a musician who would. Which, I mean, it's different as consenting adults, and the you know terms are defined. But like, whenever a musician overasserts his power and th- you know to like drag someone along, and it's you know yeah. it's very centered on them. Yeah, that's not fair to the groupie. Like. I don't see that as a negative on that. It's truly a negative on the culture of, to be honest, just white males in the rock scene and it being fully accepted and the woman being blamed for it or having the negative connotation. That's like totally accurate. But then
2: again, like we live in a patriarchy that has misogyny. So like, of course the woman is to
1: blame <laughs> for all of it. Right.
3: Oh, yeah. of course. Oh, you know, it's also what like, um, definitely an abuse of power to a lot of degrees but also I think that most of these rock stars at least in this rock heyday and groupie heyday um there was there was like an understanding I think between most of them because if you read other autobiographies or read other interviews or whatever most of these women aren't as sort of bitter as Pamela was and still seems to be um, I think that Pamela very much like she wasn't. Most of the other groupies were models. They lived th- this lifestyle. Meanwhile, Pamela was like created. <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> created the group the gtos with the yeah. help of frank zappa which were sort of a band but also just like a group of groupies who started a band to feel mm-hmm. like they were more involved in the scene sort of thing and i mean pamela's seems like she's an incredible woman she's lived an incredible life but i think that she very much was sort of um trying to be something that maybe she wasn't but also she very much so was the type of person that people were drawn to um but i think that because she was the type of person that people were drawn to and also because she didn't fit within that model sort of group that most of the groupies were mm-hmm. that i think that these guys didn't really know how to view her because I think that they sort of respected her more to some degree yeah um and so that's why you run into this thing where like it seems like J- Jimmy Page and like if you read about her relationship with the Jagger too, like they very much loved her as a friend as well as a groupie. And so you have these situations where a lot of these people who were models or were socialites or worked in music um, wound up being long-term girlfriends or married to these artists or just having their children like what have you. Whereas Pamela was sort of like in this middle ground of jimmy page not wanting to say you're my girlfriend but also treating her like his girlfriend but also at the same time being like i'll get you a plane ticket i promise and then her not hearing from him for months so you have this weird (laughs) sort of situation when it comes to her i think that she is an anomaly in groupie culture because Unlike fangirls who are just girls who very much so live and breathe these fans, most of these groupies are are like up a rung on the societal class structure of access or what have you. Um, because what I, and and in in smaller cities, you have people who are just showing up to the backstage door, sort of knocking on it or flirting with a bodyguard or like a bouncer or what have you getting backstage. And I mean, like you have Connie Hamsey in like the middle of fucking nowhere who hooked up with over 60 rock stars, has saw like her name in songs, you know. Um, and it was just because right place, right time, but she yeah. was just like a local girl. Um, whereas like in LA or in London or New York, you have like a very specific breed of girls <laughs> getting to yeah. be groupies, which is still you see today, like closer in time like with Kate Moss or like Alexa Chung it still is that like socialite model level of a person so you do still have to sort of exist within the right bubble I think to be on the groupie level of fandom (laughs) yeah I hear that
0: I will say I think men still throw this term around a lot to fangirls especially if you see an artist more than once because I just like recovered this memory of following I saw the Struts three times in a year. I had three separate men go, oh, are you a groupie now? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Just because I follow a band. Listen, Carl,
1: no one asked for your opinion <laughs> on a subject you are not well equipped for.
0: Anyway, moving on from groupies to something, you know, much more lighthearted. Beth Ann sent it to you for emo culture. Oh, it's my time. <laughs>
1: Okay. I have to say, I'm really excited to talk about this because I always in passing on our podcast talk about emo culture, but I never actually get to talk about it. So (laughs) I'm pretty stoked. It's a first. Yes, this is a first. So I think it's fair to say what the first thing that comes to mind for an emo band is My Chemical Romance, uh which started around 2001, like their first album came around like 2000, 2001. And um and while you know, while they were, you know, considered, you know, one of the biggest emo bands like Just to give a little history, Emo extends all the way to the late 80s with a band called Rite of Spring in D.C., which I think is super interesting because it's a a subsect of um, punk. But anyway, taking my nerdy cap off and putting my fangirl hat on for a second. Um, This fandom is just so unique, in my view, up to what we've discussed, because... You know, the groupies and fangirls, it's more concert-based, it's more album-based. This is a fandom that is based on the internet. And an era that we're talking MySpace, we're talking Tumblr, we're talking the AOL chat away messages. I mean, I had an under oath away message. I had an my chem away message at one point. The list goes on. But once the album from my chem three cheers for sweet revenge came out, which has the song. I'm not okay. It just blew up the scene and emo world. And I would argue this album along with black parade popularized it. And I put that in quotes because like it made like the rest of the world know that we existed. So, um, But from there, like we we see like fans designing their MySpace pages to reflect their love for My Chemical Romance and putting like the band and other fangirls in the top eight, Um, (laughs) posting my chem lyrics in the bulletins. Like literally, I have this memory of and I know I'm going to get it wrong, but I remember this all black MySpace page. And it was just all my chemical like my chemical romance was playing in the background. There was a glitterized picture of Gerard Way. <laughs> like it was it was a great time to be alive. Um, but when Tumblr started, which was right around the release of Black Parade, we see that also shift over to like Gerard Way, like like mm. doing different, like animations of the band and drawings of the band but like there was this huge shift to gerard way specifically gerard way as a subject of gay comic fan fiction and regular fan fiction like which i think is one like it's just i i've always found this subsect of tumblr just so fascinating because gerard way For those who don't know, like he's a really awesome guy. Like I respect the hell out of him, but he's also was like him. The band were one speaking out against homophobia, like in 2000s, which was like pretty like ballsy of them for that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it shouldn't be, but it was at that time. But then too, like he's talked about like gender identity and how he has felt like he's always had this feminine side to him and he's embraced it about himself. So I just think that's really cool. Like I, I I think like he was thinking these things and like talking about them early on the scene, which is great.
0: My favorite part of the Tumblr culture is the fan art that starts around yes. this time. It, it's I still was my favorite part of like fangirls.
1: I spent so much time just looking at old Tumblr posts for this and just like reliving the days of like, like, cause people are just like Designing, like, the most creative, like, things I've seen during this time. And speaking of which, like, in the notes, which you guys saw, and we'll put it in the show notes. I love that someone did a panda version of the Black Parade. It's adorable. It's incredible. Like, I love the creativity of this time.
3: I don't know if, wait, I have, like, a MySpace thing. Yeah. With- yeah, That's yeah. Cool. Um, Because I think that MySpace was honestly, like, peak peak fangirl behavior. Um, <laughs> yes. and that, like these scene kids and emo kids did not want to acknowledge or admit that, but like MySpace was the perfect playing field for a fangirl because you could completely customize your profile page. You could dedicate every single thing you were doing on that site to your favorite band or groups of bands. Um, and I just think that it's something that is long ignored and sort of forgotten in that degree, in, in, in that regard. Because also in this like two thousand five to two thousand and nine sort of era of the MySpace emos, yeah, <laughs> and what have you. Like we also have the the genre of like pick me girls. Um, very much (laughs) being strong in the, like, female zeitgeist um, of things. And so you just have, like... And I don't think that emo helped very much because while Gerard Way was pretty forward-thinking, I think that a lot more of the bands, if you weren't deep into the fandom, every single song, you're just like, wow, they fucking hate women. (laughs) I mean, that's Um, a fair
1: point. That absolutely is fair of emo culture like some of these guys just had this pent-up emotion and they just chose to take it out
3: in the means that they did yeah but it's it's just interesting because that those those bands and that scene was so much a thing that girls loved and were so into and so i think because of this you have just like this horrible amount of like internalized misogyny brewing within like female music fans especially in that scene but also you have these girls being like this is my band and and you have this issue of these bands around 2005 2007 sort of time having their music starting to be played on mtv and like you have just like this boom of pop punk emo sort of taking on the the real world so to speak so everybody is getting their claws in and i mean personally from like my own experience as like an emo MySpace kid, like anytime somebody would come up to me and be like, oh, you listen to this band, don't you? I'd be like, don't talk to me. (laughs) Like, who do you think you are listening to my favorite band? Like, what do you think you're doing? And so I think that unlike the 70s where you have these groupies sort of teaming up and like what have you, you have the MySpace era of every girl for themselves, but also like sparkly MySpace pages dedicated yes. to like Pete Wentz and Gerard Way maybe wanting them to kiss <laughs> and, and so there's just like so much to unpack um and it's it's just really interesting because you also have like the scene queen version of groupies with like um Audrey Kitching and Jack Vanek yeah. and like Hannah Beth and all those sorts of people and so there's just so much overlap between sort of the rock culture of the 70s and the MySpace era emo pop punk culture of the early 2000s that I feel like gets completely ignored because there was so much misogyny going on that nobody wants to admit like you were living your best one Direction fangirl life prior to like the resurgence of boy bands. And I think that that's why lots of old, like, once super emo kids wound up being like boy band fans in their like early 20s <laughs> by accident. Yeah.
1: No, I think, I think everything you're saying is like completely on point. Like, and I think for me, like, you know, you look back at some of these songs and you're just like, Holy, uh, look at some of the music videos of like girls tied up or things like that. And you're like, what the fuck was wrong with these dudes? Like they were so (laughs) angry, but like, you know, I think that's a completely like fair judgment of the emo scene. It's like, yes, I think in the time when it happened, all these parents were concerned of... (laughs) oh, like, my kid's listening to this emotional music that's telling him, like, I hate my family. But, like, it it was so much more to his sense of, like, there was emotional sides of it, but there also was just subjects where they weren't, like, truly exploring what they needed to explore outside of song lyrics. And, you know, Emo definitely has to take its, you know, criticism of that even though, like, I grew up absolutely loving it, like, there's just some bands I listen to, and I'm like, they're written from such a perspective of a, a a girl cheated on him and how upset he is, but just, like, the way he approaches it lyrically, it just sometimes even today makes me uncomfortable.
2: Well, I mean, going back to your point about, like, a lot of these emo bands having really, like, a... Uh, deeper lyrics about you know just going i mean literally being emotional um and to just tying that into what fandom is is like fandom is a connector of people and i think like with myspace and like the emo scene this was like the first time where people who were struggling with like with their mental health or going through things on a personal level were realized that there were other people out there who were also going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, MySpace was a big part of connecting those communities because I mean, it, if you were like the, the alternative kid or like the emo kid at your high school, you're probably like you were that kid and like, there was nobody else you could like talk to about it. And yeah. so it's really cool that like, this was so early on in the the stages of like social media of that was such a connector.
1: Oh yeah. And, and I think like there's some positives in that emo music brought forth, I think helped catapult mental health awareness, which was great. Cause I feel like, I mean, I I really love how in the two thousands, like alt music and emo music was actually putting in like an emphasis to their writing to explore different levels of emotion and complex scenarios. And like you were saying, have that connection point and you know, but there's also just like, there's just so much with how like girls were even treated then there. I'm trying to like find my words for it.
2: It's interesting that we can, like it's great that we can look back on it now and like realize how bad it was because it was like at the time there wasn't really anything that was much better like the standard for how women were talked about in songs wasn't much better like you even have like early 2000s britney spears and seeing justin timberlake like still being very sexualized still having the fangirl stigma all of those things so it's not like there were better conversations that were happening you know and it's like finally now we're at this point where we realize that we we can look back on these things and realize like hey maybe that wasn't the best way to talk about women in this song um it's just but it is really interesting that like it kind of like was this zeitgeist of this type of attitude just feeding on itself with all these bands being together
1: And it's, you know, I think like for emo, and I'll be the first one to admit this as someone who was emo, there's such an elitism to it as well. Like, you're like, oh, you don't like Sarah Wisconsin. I was like, do you know this band? And it's like a (laughs) gatekeeping thing. Like, what do you mean you don't know a job for a cowboy and this particular song on that album? And it's like, bro, I just want to listen to music. But besides that, like, I feel like during that time, we as an emo person admitting my faults, we saw us as like better than mainstream, yeah. right? Yeah. Like mainstream's just fluff and they're just over here doing, but we're the real ones. Right. But like lyrically compare it, you know, apples or like they're kind of similar in like the way that they're approaching certain subjects around women. And it really, I, I think what's interesting though, that sticks out in my mind. Do you guys remember red jumpsuit apparatus? Yeah. Yep. Like, they wrote their song Face Down to, like, actually talk about a woman rising up and that was such an interesting moment where that shift in tone started coming into play, which I always thought was, like, so different than what was ra- being written previously from a, like, like, uh, more negative place.
3: I feel like throughout, like, the the Warped Tour era of music, you constantly had these bands that were sort of trying to change things. Like you have Gerard Way and My Chemical Romance yeah. making statements and saying the things that they were saying. You have bands putting out music like Red Jepsen Apparatus where you have like this weird ground of like all-time low where they're very overtly sexual, very yeah. much like having bras on their microphones. And yet... of the fan base for All Time Low, I would dare to say, is female. And Mm -hmm. so you have this weird thing where it's like, this, especially in the All Time Low scenario, where it's like, this band should not be like a safe haven for females, but for some reason they are. And we all sort of clung to them and whatever weird environment that they created where we were just like, we feel like we belong here. Um, And so I I think that you just always, there, there were... There are always just these weird pockets of like girls finding safety from a band, whether or not a band yeah. should or should not have been the safety net within that that genre of music. And it's just, it's just really interesting and kind of just blows my mind, just in the in the fangirl perspective of it all. Because I think when you move more into um the pop punk side of this world you get into a much more female heavy sort of playground of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And none of it was very welcoming. like should have been welcoming to girls, but we very much all were like, heck yes. We love every single one of these bands. We are going to wear the booty shorts that they are selling us. (laughs) Um, We're going to dress like them. We're going to act like them. We're going to like make our signs and devote our lives to their existence. And, and then you get to this point where, like, you do have sort of live videos and different things of of those bands where it very much falls into this weird middle ground between boy band fangirl culture and the whole like, this is my band, don't touch them, we're better than all of you because we like this kind of music yeah. sort of subculture. <laughs> It's just like a very specific point in time of female existence that I don't necessarily think we want to go back to. Well, it's interesting because
1: like you were bringing up like all time low in my mind went to 303 where they wrote a song about not trusting a word. I'm not going to say I I don't like derogatory terms towards women, but like, you know, like and they were just like headlining the alt press tour. Singing these songs, and they're with all time low for that same tour in Family Force Five, which is a very interesting pairing. But um,
3: the main we, there too. But I don't need to go down that. Wait, way. wait, say that again. The, wasn't the main there. Yes, I feel like they the were. Because I went
1: to this show. Yeah,
3: the main I went
1: there. to this show. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it's a time where you know, like you know, right now we have on TikTok a lot of people going back because apparently things repeat 20 years and that really hurts my heart to say like that. that we're approaching like emo being 20 years old like I don't want to say that since ever again in my life but um yeah because everything's repeating you know you see you know the fangirl the uh I guess e-girls is the term yeah I apologize like getting back into emo which makes me happy but it is like Are we going to make it a better place and focus still on the mental health of emo, which is good, but like take away a lot of like these really just, you know, aggressive lyrics towards women because a guy is mad a girl broke up with him.
0: I think a lot of those bands are canceled now because they have sexual assault allegations. Very true. They're weeding themselves out.
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) well, also, I just feel like the. The fascination around emo culture right now on TikTok is, like, the younger generation who also, like, is not putting up with any shit when it comes to, like, any form of homophobia, racism, yeah. sexism, whatever. True. So, I mean, fingers crossed it it ends up better for them.
3: But it is weird, though, because they are sort of going, because I think I've sent you videos before, Jenna, of, like, there are these kids on TikTok yeah. who are very much dressing up, like seeing kids who would go to like the hot topic of your, you know, and like, and and they're just sort of like, <laughs> like, I don't want to go this far, but like in a way it feels very like culture appropriation-y, <laughs> even though it's not a real culture to appropriate, but it's just this weird thing where it's like, if, if they paid a lick of attention to the music that they're celebrating and the culture that they're celebrating, and and had on their aggressively woke online glasses that they wear outside of the time where they're playing C and Kid, like yeah. their whole world would implode in on them because they're like standing there like fucking doing videos to broken side. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. what is happening here? And it's just this really weird thing where I think that... When you look back on the past, sometimes you just want you just allow yourself to ignore things because you're like, Oh, well, that happened in the past. And it's like, Okay, but we still have these, we still face these issues today. We still have people doing these things today. Like, we still have people who are coming up and being popular. Like, it's not like the scene is dead. It's yeah. not like we don't have pop artists or other of or artists in other genres who aren't doing the same shitty disgusting things that people in the pop punk and emo scene were doing when we were young and like too young to even know what was happening um and so it's just it's just this weird thing where i feel like sometimes people like to celebrate something that is no longer occurring because they're like oh well dumb stuff is happening right now and modern stuff so i'm just gonna celebrate this other thing and i'm like you're literally celebrating people who've gone to jail yeah <laughs> like, like dial it back
1: we, we using things <laughs> that i'm afraid for the emo because co- like i said i was in it like i absolutely still love some of these bands even though like i disagree with some of the things that happen in it like i I think what we're seeing right now in rock music specifically is, you know, the term dad rock, so to speak. And these guys will just like stand by their band no matter what. And I hope that doesn't extend to emo. Like as we look back, like we just don't stand by the band for every single thing. Because like one of my favorite bands was called Under But, like, there's still a lot of things, like, Aaron Gillespie has said in the past that I don't agree with to this day. Um, And I just hope, like, we learn that it's okay to, like, still like some of the music, but also, like, say, like, hey, this stuff that happened, we can't just chop it up to, oh, that was the times. Like, we have to acknowledge, like, hey, we need to do better.
3: I'm just, like, I'm genuinely confused and like slightly happy about this but like how these that these teens have not real figured out or acknowledged or talk about the fact that Pete Wentz dated like a teenager when he was in his 20s and I'm like this is all we talked about on Lime Journal before I was even old (laughs) enough to understand what's happening I was like 11 and I was like why is he dating someone who would be my babysitter this is like a grown man yeah like, and they were together for so long, and he talked about her in so many interviews and all this stuff. And I was like, This is a child. And I don't know, it's just like shocking to me that the internet hasn't canceled P. once
2: Sir, I think you need to like, make some changes. I don't want
3: TikToks. them to, but like, I'm just <laughs> shocked about it. Right. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be that person. Alert if P. Wentz acknowledges me on the internet because I single handedly cancel him, I will have to die. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's just hope they're not listening to this show.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, to wrap up the emo section, because I know we got other sections, and this is yet a blip in the fangirl world. Um, I think, you know, remembering, like, you know, a lot of these, you know, emo girls who are coming from the scene, like, there's... I, th- I would say from my own experience, you know, I actually learned pretty early on to get in tune with my mental health, which is great that the music and the artists were allowed to do that, even with my chemical romance. So a lot of their songs really, especially with Black Parade, dealt more with like fantasy type subjects, meaning like, you know, they weren't based off of actual, you know, real life situations. Just getting swept up in it and um just going through that journey. Like it really helped you to get in tune with your mental health. But I hope we really learn to speak out about some of the things that were just not okay and how women were treated. And I, yeah, I just, I think we summed it up pretty good.
0: Now we're going to enter the Twitter era where I think all of us, but Beth Ann have been living for the last.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I 15
0: years. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and this is of course your, your fandoms of one direction, Taylor Swift, Nowadays BTS, um, any any fandom that you can you can name is on Twitter, but those are probably the the biggest three. Taylor and BTS, especially like today, twenty twenty one. Um so you guys are the experts here on especially this era. What are some things that people need to know about fangirls of these time periods? And that's your entire show, but like three bullet points. <laughs> I don't even know I don't even
2: know where to start but my my I, I'm going to let Sarah speak but I'm I, my initial thought is that so when MySpace kind of died a lot of people migrated to Tumblr but right. Tumblr wasn't good for conversations but Twitter was and so Twitter became this space where you could really easily like interact and have conversations with your faves like and maybe they'll recognize you, you know, um, like I, I, cause I was on Twitter originally as an all time low fan. And so I love tweeting them. I love like Jack bearcat (laughs) retweeted me. I like put it in my calendar, like, Oh my God, this is a day. Jack bearcat retweeted me stuff like that. Um, and then you have one direction who is like to Sarah has a story about, um, tweeting. (laughs) No, I'll just (laughs) let you tell Sarah, but like, uh, uh, hold on hold on I'm, I'm trying to make this transition sound better um and then you ha- hold on you're gonna get there in a second we're gonna get there in a second um and then you have like one direction joining joining the world in a uh, 2011 10. 2010 okay then you have one direction joining the world in 2010 and their fandom very quickly growing you know its online presence of things like um like take a picture of like you with your album and like I'll follow you back stuff like that and I think Sarah has like some story <laughs> along those lines <laughs> like, What
3: story but no I remember Um yeah I mean like stan stan twitter is like a whole thing in and of itself and like once you enter that <laughs> there's no going back and there's I mean no going like you back. can sort of stay on the outskirts and still belong sort of on fandom twitter without getting into the nitty gritty
2: Because like Stan Twitter didn't used to be bad. No, like it wasn't bad. Like when I joined Twitter for like all time low, like or or the early days of One Direction, at least from what I saw. Maybe I was just on the periphery. Was
3: always pretty toxic. I mean, what Jenna was talking about was like because I mean, the whole point of social media, especially apps like Twitter and Instagram, at the start of it, were very much like for fan interaction for interacting with your favorite brands with your favorite bands with your favorite actors and actresses etc etc um and i mean (laughs) what jenna was hinting at was that liam payne would post when up all night came out that if you post if you tweeted at him a photo of you listening to up all night that he would pick people to follow and so every day <laughs> as like a 19 year old. I think I yeah, I think I was 19. I was tweeting Liam Payne a photo of me um listening to Up All Night. I love that. <laughs> he never followed me, but Bummer. it is what it is. But I was never like I was never part of like fandom Twitter. I just was like an avid Twitter user. Mm-hmm. Um but I I avoided it like the plague because I mean I personally just had a rough history of sort of the MySpace fandom world um, where when you, because I mean, like in in the real world, like before COVID, before all this, I mean, Jenna and I both, we met through concert photography, we do music journalism. And when you sort of exist in that in-between of a music journalist who's friendly with bands and a fangirl, because that's where I was very much like, Fandom, cult, fandom doesn't allow you to exist there because you're not close enough to be a groupie. You're not close enough to be a, a friend, at least two fellow fangirls, because they're like, how can you be a fangirl, but also be friends of this band? And so there's that constant thing of feeling like you don't belong and all that.
2: Yeah, and the other half of it is basically what we were just talking about with groupie culture of it's like, if you are... Because I, I think a lot of this stemmed from the stigma around groupies, but it's like if you like were a fangirl as a teenager and now you're becoming an adult and wanting to work in the music industry, you kind of have to shut off your fandom, the fandom party yourself right. or Don't talk to it don't talk publicly about it like maybe you have like a private twitter if you want to do that but like it's very much like not acceptable to like go into a business setting or go into a band interview and be a fangirl and so i think that's also where this dichotomy sarah is saying there's like this in between of like you're floating in this realm of like professional like post fangirl where you're not really allowed to be part of the fandom but you're also not like on an equal playing field with like the musicians themselves sometimes. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And then when you get on to sort of fandom Twitter and when you live in that sort of gray area of it all, you very much feel like there's nothing you can say or do because you know too much to really be part of a fandom, but you also don't know enough to be friends with Harry Styles, you know? Mm, so, yeah. so you live in this weird sort of bubble where you see these people tweeting. And this is, this is the thing is it's like fandom culture at its heart and at its soul is not a toxic bad thing, but you do have like this level of fandom like the quote-unquote like Stan level which the origins come from that Eminem song about like a super fan called Stan who would write Eminem all these letters and Eminem never answered and then he's like okay I'm I killed myself and my wife and I think they're kid okay. like if I, it wasn't a real story I don't think but like this is what the song was. And so that's how you went, You, you cre- they created like this quote unquote stan culture, which is sort of this unhealthy level of fandom. Um, but like, I don't think that, that a lot of these, I think that a lot of these people that the meaning behind why they're called stands has been lost. So I don't even think that they know that there is this really negative connotation behind it which is kind of funny in the, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things because they, they like attack people and they're kind of mean, um, on the internet, but you also just have these people who, who create sort of worlds within f- within being a fan of these artists that don't necessarily correlate with the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think, gen- I don't think we've talked about this on our podcast, but I think that we've talked about it like in, lives and other conversations we've had like as name three songs about how people will be like this artist taught me about this this thing that's really important to me whether that be about like politics or sexuality or what have you when like you're not actually learning it from these artists you're learning it from fellow fans who are sort of broadening your horizons and teaching you more and you're giving all of that thanks and appreciation to people that have absolutely nothing to do with it especially one direction this happens quite often um and so you you get into this again this realm where we have the internet and the internet makes things into this whole other discussion and idea of like what fangirl dumb is because i think that most of the time it's like and i feel also like Fans have really reclaimed the term fangirl in the past sort of five, 10 years where you don't just have to be a girl to be a fangirl. Being a fangirl isn't viewed as a bad thing. People are just like, oh, there's a whole like fangirl to music industry pipeline sort of idea that's going on right now. Um, And a lot of people still just correlate the idea of a fangirl with that person who's screaming and yelling and has the signs at the concerts and is writing like a Mrs. Harry Styles on her notebooks or like, Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, like that sort of thing. But then you also have this sort of dark and dirty side of fandom, which is the pushing of like shipping culture. And you have like, Oh, like, like, the people who think that Louis Tomlinson and Harry Styles are dating and you have Mm -hmm. those sorts of situations where you have like Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss, you have these people who pick up Mm -hmm. on the slightest idea of anything more than just friends between artists or between, between actual, just friends. And you have them creating these whole worlds where these people can't be seen in public together anymore. It's ruined friendships. It's ruined bands Um, and so there's just, there's so many layers to it that, that that are just kind of, that kind of make it sad because being a fangirl should be a joyous thing and something that's celebrated and exciting, but because of the internet, because of how much access we have, because we're in this social media era, there's so much expectation and there's so much, um, storytelling involved in fandom culture um outside of even just fan fiction just by people creating like alternate timelines of what's actually happening that you just enter into this whole other world of things that i that that sort of takes away from the joyousness of fangirls what you had with like Beatlemania. of yes there's fainting and crying but the girls probably are going to school the next day and being like yeah i fainted three times how many do you faint
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah there's probably not
2: a version of Beatlemania where they were ganging up to like bully people i'm like i'm yeah. trying to think of probably how this would not. work like going to a critic's house and like banging on their door and being like why did you write that bad review like it's (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if that's a real thing
0: if Beatlemania girls had had twitter
2: no i can't Um, i literally (laughs) don't know i literally do not know what would happen
3: yeah i don't i don't know like i i genuinely like jenna said like i couldn't even think of what what routes they would have taken with that could they have had that access but I mean
2: like also this brings it around to BTS of like BTS is essentially the biggest well they're definitely the biggest boy band in the world but I would argue they're the biggest they have the biggest fandom right now like it's 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 insane and like so I recently like got into k-pop and like went down the BTS rabbit hole um and have found myself like somewhat involved with like fandom twitter but also kind of watching from the periphery because i've been following a lot of music journalists who write about k-pop so it's really easy for me to see like who's interacting with them and like the conversations that are happening um and it's it's bizarre because i haven't been super involved in fandom since since One Direction, and I wasn't yeah. even like that that involved. Once I got to college, you know, so it was more like the earlier, basically since I was a teenager, I haven't been super involved. And then, yeah, recently, well, I mean, like uh, my recent example is that I accidentally started a stand Twitter war between <laughs> BTS Army believers, arionarians, and Swifties. Entire accident, just uh, kind of oversight of not rethinking my tweet before I sent it. Why I had sent um and yeah i mean i saw the effects of stan twitter and people coming to defend their faves but it's like you can defend your fave and also not be mean and also like not be an ugly person on the internet and that's where like the line is crossed all the time now with stan twitter of people just being nasty and people doxing people and like death threats and stuff like that and i mean I, I muted the tweet and sarah just like filled me in on like anything i need to know because like i i have not come here for this like yeah it's already popping off like i i can't stop it you know but it i mean yeah it just it just goes wild
1: yeah I, I really so this is my hot take personally i'm not that big on social media by i think a millennial standard as far as for like i haven't been on twitter in a very long time and I only check in once in a while um but like for me and correct absolutely give me your takes on this I feel like Twitter has just like it's both empowered people to just learn more about their artists and hear from them more often which is fantastic I love when people just get excited about something But there's also just this side, like you were saying, uh, Jenna, of just, like, people just bullying others because, like, they're just not in love with an artist. And it's really empowered some toxic sides to the fandom. Um, I mean, this is just a reason I'm not on Twitter is because everyone has to have a hot take on something. And if you don't like it, it's like it just you know revs it up almost somehow just like our emotions on it but that's just my take on it
2: i mean the other thing is it's like it's not even um it's not even like if you don't love an artist it's like if you say anything that might even be slightly considered as critical about an artist like you'll be ripped to shreds like forget even like because i mean one of my friends is a music journalist like writes hot takes um and gets like fandoms attack him all the time, but like, even if you like, even if you are part of that fandom and you just have an unpopular opinion, like, good luck I mean like I hope you're okay because the the rest of the fandom will just attack you just for that just because you have an opinion that's not popular but that doesn't mean you're wrong and that doesn't mean your opinion's not valid but everyone gets on that like we're right you're wrong and it's the very and Sarah and I say this a lot it's the the very online thought process of like especially with TikTok we talk about like it TikTok is kind of like this positive feedback loop or like an echo chamber of like it's feeding you the types of content that you already like the, that it knows you agree with, so it's like if you're never if your thought process is never being challenged, like you yeah. have this idea that like everyone agrees with you and you're right and there's no other like everything is black or white, there's no gray, whatever, and then you become really intense and it's it's
3: it's not like the real world is not like that, you know? Like yeah, fandom fandom culture doesn't al- give space or allowance for critique to any degree which is all our podcast is (laughs) and all like we all we care about because I mean like while we definitely are very aware and talk a lot about how the media is very negative towards female artists or any artists that females care about um we're also ready, willing and able to critique these artists that even we care about, because I mean, yeah. if you asked me, like, do you like Liam Payne? Are you a fan of Liam Payne? I'd be like, yes, but and I could give you a three hour TED talk of the <laughs> on the butt. But if you gave me the opportunity to interview Liam Payne, I'm not going to bully Liam Payne for three hours because I don't think his first album was good because the man has shown growth, you know? And Mm -hmm. so you have these situations where, yes, there are. And like, we've obviously found it because we have a following on our podcast. There are parts of there are members of fandom culture. There are music fans who like critique, who like intellectual discussions about, about about their favorites, you know, but then you also have these situations where as, as Jenna said, and we keep saying, you have these people with these aggressively online points of views where, and they're also almost always like very young, like under the age of 20. Um, And so they're not even that educated on this stuff. And so they don't understand the difference between critique and criticism and just bullying somebody. They don't understand why you can have critiques about, the way that somebody who maybe like claims that they're a mental health advocate but aren't advocating for anybody getting mental health help except for themselves yeah like they don't understand that you're allowed to make these comments and they're like how dare you this person's the best person to ever exist blah 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 and and you have on top of that you have these kids also who are posting like if you go and you like stalk these kids who are like (laughs) have their avatars as like members of bts or members of five seconds of summer or one direction or selena or ariana what have you you go and they're like being horrible about whatever the case is being like oh like you can't criticize like you can't say that this person was successful because they've been criticized and it's like you can be both successful and criticized Mm -hmm. because like jenna's tweet that went viral like she was acknowledging the fact that bts is is getting a lot of success and doing well based off of streaming but the major audience like the the like critics and um like media and all that stuff aren't giving them the same feedback that they give like justin bieber or taylor swift or the same opportunities as those like white american artists are given But then Taylor Swift fans are like, but Taylor's critiqued all the time. She's criticized all the time. People rip her apart all the time. It's like, yes, but there's also probably the same amount of positive press about Taylor as there is negative press, which we learned in doing research about her. Mm -hmm. But also the negative press doesn't affect her sales or how many ears are her- are hearing Taylor Swift. Because just because people are like, Taylor Swift plays a victim narrative, we don't like her. That doesn't mean that Z100 isn't playing Taylor Swift every mm-hmm. seventh song on the radio or whatever you listen to isn't putting Taylor Swift on like their top pop songs, whatever. Whereas like these bands and artists from other countries have a much bigger fight that they have to face to do yeah. this. But fans are just like, you can't say that they're that they're successful because they're criticized and it's like Taylor's won a Grammy almost every time she's been nominated for one like you have to think about things in like a bigger thing but then you also Like what the point was, I was trying to make is you go to these fans, Twitters, and they're posting about how they want to work in the music industry. And they're like, Oh, like I run fit, like I run this fan account. I do all this stuff. I have all this experience. Like I could totally work in the music industry. Like I would do such a better job than whoever runs the socials for X, Y, Z. And it's like, you just threaten somebody's life. (laughs) like the the fangirl to music industry pipeline does not include you because if you give somebody your twitter handle they're gonna go look at your fucking tweets and if you think that tweets disappear have you heard of the way back machine like people can go find your freaking tweets like and it just blows my mind because we do live in this world where being a fangirl is no longer a dirty thing to be a part of like being part of fandom culture is no longer like it still is but it's not low down on to the same degree like you don't have somebody on mount everest watching you on your like laptop fangirling they're like maybe and that's why i'm never tweeting again no like the, the the distance between you and somebody judging you on your fandom are so much closer now because yeah because you need to have fans running shit because otherwise you don't have that connection Between the artists and the fans, that is so much needed in this era of social media, especially in this era of TikTok, Mm -hmm. where the curtain is completely drawn back, you know? And so it's just this, it's just this weird thing where like these fans are so fucking twisted in their viewpoints because they're so deep in stan culture that they're just like, it's normal to like on Saturday, on Friday on friday celebrate an album release on saturday keep tweeting about it and then on monday dox whoever wrote the reviews and it's like that's not that should not be a normal weekly fucking schedule like it shouldn't be like oh 3 p.m monday gotta see who did reviews friday night gotta dox the shit out of them like, That should not be a normal occurrence unless you're like maybe want to be in the fbi someday i don't
0: yeah, that's you know, fangirls girls would
1: actually make good FBI because they know how to research things and do it fast and effectively.
0: They can find dirt on anybody. Yes,
1: yes, they can.
0: Uh, yeah, I wouldn't either. After that, honestly, just like stick to tweeting very generic things like having yeah. sushi tonight.
1: Honestly, <laughs> Instagram stories. And you just post things and it's gone in 24 hours. (laughs) Great life. Great life.
0: Uh, To kind of bring everything full circle and kind of close out, because I'm trying to be mindful of time for you guys. Uh, I like to bring back the point that you just said of the fangirls are always the band's biggest advocates, especially in the the streaming world. The only reason I even know BTS exists is because I have like three friends who are obsessed with them and wouldn't stop posting about them. I've heard them on the radio Maybe one time in my life, and that's right when they drop butter. Like the music industry, I think they still just don't understand the power that someone posting on their Instagram story Mm -hmm. or telling their friends, Hey, have you heard this song by this artist you had no clue exists? Like, personally, I've probably converted 25 people to listen to the Struts. They don't get radio play in the US unless you're like. A super indie station or occasionally one song on Sirius XM um, but I just think it's neat <laughs> how powerful fangirls are well
2: I think like as an, I mean like you pulled a really cool article from yeah. Vox um, called who, has, yeah. who runs the world not teen girls but then this this writer goes on to talk about like how like teen girl culture has influenced so much stuff and it's they make the point that things are slowly shifting to like teen girls being recognized as like the origins of a lot of like cultural Mm -hmm. things that are important um but yeah it's that it's that it's i mean this is originally why we started our podcast was like fangirls Mm -hmm. aren't taken seriously And I think, I mean, reading this article is really cool. It's like we're slowly starting to
1: see things shift.
0: Vindication. Ever so slightly. For years of being shit on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, you know, fangirls is important to just, like, music's reach in general, but also just a connection. Like, I, you know, artists can learn so much from fangirls and just fans in general of, like, how impactful their music is and um just like what's resonating with with their fans and you know from my perspective I think that's it's just really awesome when you can just see people excited for something like I I it's hard for me because in the way because you know twitter brain is the only phrase i could think of but like it's just it's always there's a good and it's just you know excitement and then there's always just going to be someone that's just like you know puts on their glasses well actually and just like has to ruin it sometimes and then like as you're talking there's also sometimes it could be really some fans could get a little toxic but i just you know even though i don't really fall into a fandom as much as I used to for my emo days. Like I just really like it when like just people get excited, like the strut community, for example, I call myself the honorary strutter, like, cause I'm not really a strut. I mean, I like the struts and I respect what they're doing. I respect the hell of what they're doing, but am I a diehard fan? I'm not, but I respect that community because of how positive, like seriously, such a positive fandom and I just, there's something just magical about just people loving what they love and just letting it be that and how, ha- and really building that artist fan connection. And I just wish, you know, I wish people could just stop doing the well actuallys or keep name it healthy, songs. name three songs <laughs> or, you know, yeah, just like yeah, yeah. always finding ways. And I speak because like the metal scene which I'm so part of can really be this so many times. It's just like, there's always a gatekeep. There's always something to like different levels to how deep are you actually? And it's just like, let people be where they're at. Let them love where they're at. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't have grace for people just to love what they love or to be who they are. That's the thing. It's like everyone just do you. Nobody say anything to each other ever again.
0: (laughs) Unless it's something nice. Yeah. I, I think I I think fangirls
3: at their core um exist to just no holds bar love a band. And I think that if you took away the internet and these societal pressures and all this nonsense of feeling like you need to protect something um because of of, of just like I don't even know why, but just the those feelings like you definitely would still have gatekeepers because even if you hear older women talk about their love of the Beatles, they're definitely still yeah. gatekeeping prior to the internet. But I think that everything was so much more just like gleeful and surface level, and like the worst fight you're gonna get into is that two girls in a friend group are like George girls. <laughs> Whereas now it's just like, oh, it's like if you believe in like if you believe in one conspiracy theory or the other or if you don't believe in it, like you're not part of the fandom or like like One Direction has not been a band for over five years and you still have girls and teens on the Internet being like, Larry is real. Like if you <laughs> and, and just trying to be part of the, these like shit Larry, for those of you who don't know, because you probably don't, is, like, the ship name of Louis Tomlinson and Harry Styles because people think that they're, like, in a long-term committed relationship, possibly married. Um, but people are, like, embarrassed to some degree to come like be like to come out as part of being a larry shipper and there's just like so much fucking ridiculous discourse around something that's really been detrimental to the career of one direction and to harry and Louis' friendship and just all the stuff where it's like when it all boils down you just all fucking love one direction yeah like when it all boils down you just all love harry styles and all boils down to it you just love music and stop causing problems. Like you don't need to be, like the BTS fandom does not be, need to be at war with the Swifties. Like it's unfucking necessary You should be allowed to love as many artists as you want. And that's like what fangirldom is at its core is just loving music with no abandon and just showing up with your puff paint shirt and your ridiculous right. sign and crying all night. <laughs> like that's what it's supposed to be about. And it's turned into this like, uncapturable beast for some reason or another and if jenna and i do our job right we will slowly wake up these brainwashed (laughs) fangirls and make them realize that like you can be empowered without being a fucking asshole yes 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 snaps snaps for
0: sarah (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> well that is a great note to end on thank you guys so much for coming and talking to us today you're infinitely smarter and wiser on all things fan girl thanks yes. for letting us come and
1: rant <laughs> very much so
0: yeah, yeah anytime <laughs> to my multiple TED talks <laughs> um, where can people find you if they want to listen um, to
2: we're at name3songs on all social media and on all podcasting platforms and YouTube
1: Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you like this show. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you'll find links to our social, the show notes, and a place where you can contact us. Other than that, don't do drugs.